From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. And uh, we we initially chose to go uh, look at materials into the filament um, part of 3D printing because it was believed that was a little bit more open marketplace at the time. Uh, Powders was a pretty closed market, if you will. Um, and uh, filaments were a little bit easier uh, and, and quicker, maybe if you if you want to get qualified and and uh, but soon figured out if you're trying to sell filament, you know people want to buy filament by a box, by a spool, not by a truckload, right? So uh, they also want to pay using a credit card or PayPal. That's not part of Eastman's uh, uh, business model was to take. Uh, uh, those kind of small orders. So That was Bill Heiss. Bill spent over 30 years at Eastman Chemical. His final role was leading their corporate innovations group's development and execution of an additive manufacturing strategy. Currently, Bill is a team member of Three Degrees and teaches in the Department of Management and Marketing at East Tennessee State University. He joins me today to talk about progressing an additive manufacturing strategy through a large organization. All right. Welcome to the show, Bill. Um, why don't we just kind of jump right in and uh, give a quick introduction of, kind of yourself and your background. Sure. Thanks, Mike. Um, so my name is Bill Heiss. My background is a uh, uh, chemical engineer by training, but uh, spent 28 years at Eastman Chemical Company and through those 28 years had a variety of assignments, um, mainly in business development, new product launch, uh, technology management type roles. And uh, one of my uh, last roles before I retired from Eastman was in the area of 3D printing. And it was interesting, the, uh, the CEO was asked by one of the board members, uh, hey, what's our strategy around 3D printing? And at this time, probably back in the oh, mid-2000s, uh, hadn't really thought about 3D printing much as part of our strategy. It was pretty much a lot of hype. If you're familiar with the, with the Gartner hype curve, it was probably at one of the peaks of uh, hype. And so as things typically do in a, in a large corporation, it, things trickled down and landed on my desk and said, Bill, please, uh, what should our strategy be around 3D printing? And at that time, I didn't know how to spell 3D printing. So it was an interesting uh, uh, project to get engaged in. And so I spent some time, several months, um, looking into what could Eastman do or in the 3D printing world. And for those who aren't kind of familiar with, with Eastman, primarily kind of a, a chemical company for, for lack yeah, of a better I, description. I would call it more of a materials company, Mike. Okay. Um, not just basic chemicals, although that is part of their business, but a lot of specialty materials, polymers, specialty polymers. Uh, in the past, when Eastman Chemical was spun off from Eastman Kodak, they did have quite a few commodity polymers in their portfolio, like polyethylene, polypropylene, uh, PET. And over time, uh, Eastman Chemical, once it became an independent company, divested a lot of those businesses and became more of a specialty uh, materials, specialty polymers uh, company. Got it. And for them, I'm assuming, so used to selling materials by the train. 
train car versus yes. with Mul- kind of 3D printing. Orders. Lots of pellets going into a real car or, or even uh, in, in my truck. Um, so when you come talk about 3D printing, um, you know, what, where's the volume at? So that was an issue that we had, a, we had to kind of take into account in our strategy is, uh, you know, how, how to uh, position products. And that was, that was the initial strategy that we chose to go forward with is what existing products would we have that would um, be suitable in 3D printing applications. And as you know, 3D printing applications varies a lot based on the process. Is it a powder? Is it a filament? Um, Is it filled? Is it unfilled? So there's a lot of different options to consider. So one of the first things that that we did was was hire a consultant, Dr. Mike Vasquez, and helped us kind of weave our way through what should our strategy be and uh, we, we initially chose to go uh, look at materials into the filament um, part of 3D printing because it was believed that was a little bit more open marketplace at the time. Uh, powders was a pretty closed market, if you will. Um, and uh, filaments were a little bit easier uh, and, and quicker, maybe, if you, if you were to get qualified. And, and, uh, but soon figured out, if you're trying to sell filament, you know, people want to buy filament by a box, by a spool, not by a truckload, right? So uh, they also want to pay using a credit card or PayPal. That's not part of Eastman's uh, uh, business model was to take uh, uh, those kind of small orders. So we t- we quickly realized we need to be partnering with somebody who's already figured out that part of the value chain and who could uh, actually take pellets, make a good high quality filament, package it and take orders, uh, deal with all the different colors that were required, et cetera. So uh, we, we partnered with a company called Color Fab in, in the Netherlands. And uh, once we decided to go forward with Color Fab, we had products on the market within nine months, which is a pretty quick uh, development program, joint development program, uh, and it, as long as I'd been at Eastman, that was probably the quickest um, commercialization of a new product that I'd ever been experienced yeah. uh, with. I'm always fascinated with big companies because I, I mean, I worked a little bit at 3M, but as an intern, but like the the mechanism of how these types of of initiatives get started and kind of what the like, how does it just? Ha- I mean, you you said the the CEO kind of kind of called down the the chain and said like, Hey, what are we doing in this? But kind of what happens from there? Do you guys assemble a team? Was that your primary role was kind of new technology scouting? What, how did the, did it actually kind of get moving with? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause typically for something new and un- unknown by the, like this project was at the time, um, well, don't spend any money. It was kind of like, you know, we, we don't want you to spend a lot of time and money on this. So I, I, I got a few folks that I knew would be interested in this kind of out of the box thinkers um, and assembled a small team and started think, started looking at, well, how can we get our materials tested for fitness for use outside of Eastman? Because we didn't have the, we weren't, we didn't have the equipment. We didn't have the capability to make a, uh, a high quality 
filament to be tested. So we, we quickly learned that we're going to have to um, partner with somebody else um, to, to be able to do that. And there's a downside to partnering with somebody else. You're going to be sharing value. But the upside is it's lower risk up front and uh, lower cost because you're sharing the cost as well. Yeah. And I mean, this was, I mean, by the time you were involved with the 3D printing stuff at Eastman, you had been with the company for a number of years. How did, was there kind of a large difference between what you saw in 3D printing versus other industries or projects that you had worked on? Was there or any similarities that you'd seen with emerging technologies? Uh, this one had a lot of new aspects to it, which made it interesting, actually. Um, it wasn't the traditional processes that you think of polymer processes, injection molding, extrusion, film extrusion, et cetera. This is a totally new uh, type of, uh, of process. And the question I got a lot was, well, is this really going to be here or is it just a fad? Uh, is it just making toys and trinkets or, you know, will it have some kind of industrial application? You know, you don't ask those kind of questions when you're talking about a new uh, material that's going to go into packaging or bottles, for example. Um, so it had a lot of, there were a lot of naysayers, if you will. That That's probably typical at a large company when you're trying to look at some uh, uh, disruptive technology um, application. Um, you just kind of have to, you know, we're taking a low risk here. I'm not trying to commercialize a new polymer. I'm trying to look at an existing polymer and see if it has a different application, which by the way, should have a higher value than what we're selling into uh, the current applications. Right. Price per pound is yes. far Price and away. Per, yes. Yep. Um, so it's fewer pounds, but, uh, some pounds, that you could get a lot higher value for, right? So um, that that was the um, that was the selling point was, hey, there's I'm not spending a lot of money. We're not having to commercialize a new resin. Uh, just give me some time to see if there's a new application here. And that's how I was ha- had to sell it initially, uh, just to be able to uh, uh, spend some resources looking. If I, if I said, look, I'm going to develop a brand new resin for this, and the volumes are going to be fairly small that probably would not have been a successful project. So it's a lot on you. How do you frame it with kind of yes. other, other parts of the company to say, okay, give me two to three years and we think we can get to, to this point and here are some of the markers where we can kind of show that we're making progress. Yes. Yeah. That yes. seems to be common in companies I've certainly talked to with. You get the, the call from high on top of the mountain saying 3d printing is our yeah. competitors using it or there's a new material. Why aren't, why aren't we doing that? And then it's always really interesting that kind of that same conversation come, comes up over and over again. Is there someone that kind of takes it on as the main cheerleader and main kind of go getter to end that? And it's funny how larger companies tend to respond better to a threat than to an opportunity. If that makes sense. Uh, like you said, oh, our competitors are doing this. We need to look into this. That means they're they're threatened by it. Or, uh, oh, this is a new space we've never looked at before. Let's. It's it's harder to get folks excited about an opportunity. It seems like than a threat. Um, but uh, I I think 
I think it, it was successful what we worked on. And once we had a filament material, uh, actually we commercialized several different materials into the filament market. Then uh, we started looking more into the powder market. And, and the reason powder is probably more of interest is the volumes potentially could be higher. It is considered a, probably a little bit more on the industrial side of 3D printing. You're not going to have a home-based powder uh, 3D printing uh, unit. You're gonna, that's going to be more at corporations, right? So um, powder became the, the kind of the next focus area that, that really was perceived to have a lot more potential than the, than the filament market. Right. And I'm sure one of the challenges along kind of both the, the filament and the, the powder space is you're creating new materials and you have to sell within Eastman kind of the idea of 3D printing. But then my sense is that you're also trying to build some sort of market with customers, whether they be existing Eastman customers for other applications or other resins, but also going to completely new sectors that you may not be a hundred percent familiar with. Yeah. And, uh, kind of a side benefit to kind of go with what you're talking about here is a lot of conversations with existing customers, even about talking to them about what their 3d printing strategy was. And here's what we're doing. It, It invited new conversations uh, oh, Eastman's now viewed a little bit more innovative than we used to think, you know, and uh, you could you could now bring in a prototype of what a package could look like with a new material that you couldn't do before, right? So you could do more things for customers and it led to more conversations other than just price volume, which is what our sales folks, yeah, they have to do that, but they're always looking for opportunities have more conversations with more people at at the customer level so um so changing the perception a little bit of the company yeah so it actually had a side benefit there of having uh yeah this eastman's being innovative here that's something we should pay attention to versus and, and invited new people into the conversation at customers that you may never have been able to talk to before so uh, that was a pretty good side benefit that we did not appreciate at the very beginning. Yeah. And how much of that kind of, um, I guess, decision-making on kind of where, I mean, you guys have a portfolio, or Eastman has a portfolio of dozens, if not hundreds of different materials. And then you're, you're balancing that with what might actually work in a printer along with what are people looking to buy in the space? So how did that, equation work out that's that's a great question so we spent a lot of time talking to folks who were in who were using filaments and at that time it was primarily pla and uh, abs for the two primary materials used for filaments um and talked to folks about you know what what do you like about these materials what do you not like and, you know kind of did that kind of background market understanding so we could look at what features we could offer to address um, the deficiencies in those materials. For example, PLA is quite brittle and yet it's easy to process, right? That's why people use PLA and a lot of uh, initial printers were designed around 
PLA as far as temperatures and, and those kind of things. ABS, better material properties, but had the issue of uh, uh, giving off styrene as it's, as it's being uh, processed and melted. And, you know, so there was a safety concern, an odor concern using ABS. So uh, we were able to come up, our initial material was able to, to have better properties than PLA. Maybe somebody even argue it's as good, if not better than ABS, but did not have uh, the odor and uh, uh, material safety concerns. So we were able to meet a market need uh, that at the time wasn't being met. And that's probably the advantage of a materials company, right? I mean, especially exactly. early on in the 3D printing space, the most of the materials were prototyping. Like if it worked in the machine, like that's great. Like the the printer companies themselves and have huge materials teams doing development day and night and Eastman and companies similar. That's their business. They have DSCs all around the, every office may come with a DSC, right? And and, and in terms of the characterization and just insight about the raw polymer and um, things you may not be typically thinking of from a, a commercialization perspective and, and Eastman being in the packaging and uh, uh, food contact kind of uh, space had a lot of materials that had uh, you know FDA approvals around skin contact and and those kind of uh, certifications so that that was a big help and, and, and our partner color fab on the filament side uh, already had several relationships with uh, OEM printer companies where we could get in very quickly and test the materials uh, on their on their equipment. Um, one thing that was a bit of a surprise was just because your filament runs on Company X's machine doesn't mean it's going to run on every other filament uh, produced uh, filament printer. So we had to test a lot of different printers, uh, which took a lot more time than we had envisioned. Uh, it's not like injection molding. If your if your if your pellets work, an injection molding machine, you know you you don't need to test every single injection molding machine out there. It was a little bit different for the for the filament side. Yeah, and I think the the other thing too that I'm guessing is is even today is quite challenging is the fact that I mean each machine is different, but the business model for each printer manufacturer is slightly different. So there are some systems that have that are closed, and you can't. I mean, you have to have a more thorough negotiation with the the machine manufacturer because the their customer who's buying the filament can only buy through them, and versus some of the other printers that are are more open. So yes, it's, it's not like injection molding where it's you can throw whatever you want in into your exactly. It it was a little more open with filament than it was on the on the powder side. Yeah. Um, but you're right; there were some filament. Uh, uh, printer machines that uh, we were not able to penetrate initially. Right, right. And what was your general sense of the, uh, as you got into the 3D printing space more and more, started doing a lot of interviews with customers and or potential customers and talking with the printer manufacturers, what was your general sense of the industry from a maturity level? Was it kind of, kind of what you expected, kind of, from going in and, and starting the the initial exploration and project, or was it something different? Well, uh, I can remember going to the first AMUG meeting, the 
uh, user Amer additive manufacturing user group. Uh, it's an annual conference, and um, I was surprised at the at the lack of uh, standardization might be the right word or lack of uh, consistency. Um, it, it was still fairly new to uh, to folks about materials, uh, and I think. Uh, in all fairness, the uh, the probably the printer manufacturers were concentrating so much on getting a printer, all the mechanical engineering stuff done. Not much, but not much attention was paid to the material side. So materials kind of came later, after the hardware, if you will, and 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 so materials were having to play catch up. And so I was kind of in the midst of this. You know what do we do from a new material standpoint because you know some of the printers couldn't go to a high enough temperature for example and would need a new uh, nozzle or what whatever and uh, a lot of folks instead of coming up with a new polymer said well we'll just add a little bit of additive whatever that whatever that additive is uh, into the polymer to change the properties so you see a lot of PLA with uh, glass fibers or glass beads or whatever you know so compounding into the pla but you still had a pla based polymer so there were a lot of barriers uh for new materials to be developed and and specced in uh into the filament space that we didn't appreciate initially so I, to answer your question i think it wasn't a mature industry at all and that has good and bad you know because if it's not mature, that means there's, there's maybe space for you to get in. But I was able to convince my management, hey, this train is leaving. We either need to be on the train or we're going to miss the train. So let's get on the train and learn as we go. And, um, and again, not have to take a lot of risk. We weren't putting a lot of capital in the ground to, uh, to participate in the market. Sure. Yeah, I think that's uh, – in some ways, it's, it's certainly improved and – over the last few years, I see there's kind of similar to Eastman, there's a trend of larger chemical and materials companies getting into the space, both on on the polymer side and, and the metal side and, and trying to figure out what what that right balance is. I think for, I still see many of these companies struggle with that question of we're not selling train loads or cartons yeah. of, of material i think that's even at a, a enhanced kind of markup cost i think that's a hard paradigm for for companies and the people in those companies to to think through i, I think you're right yeah it's uh it'll be fascinating to, to see how it continues because it as you were saying it goes hand in hand with the machine manufacturers where okay if they get bigger machines or faster machines and you can use more material then we're starting to Kind of change that conversation a little bit but right now we're in a little bit of that um, there's some examples of, of high volume but most of it's low medium volume and, and the material consumption is still quite low well and on the powder side mike their business model was they, they made a significant chunk of their revenue by selling their own powder um and if you bought powder from somebody else you potentially were going to avoid a, a a warranty or avoid a maintenance contract and 
and at the time the users did not have the customers and end users were not did not have enough um, experience to be able to say well I'm willing to take that risk because um, you know they spent a lot of money for these machines and didn't want to uh, endanger that so they had to use the powder that was supplied by the, the printer company I think over time as people get more experience are more comfortable with the technology willing to try some new things um, will be better as far as the material using different polymer materials in the uh, uh, SLS type of machines right I mean once you have a setting for a nylon 12 that you like changing over to a elastomer or a PA6 or peak or something like that is a yeah. Yeah. not a trivial task. Yes. And, and so we chose as part of our strategy to partner with uh, a couple universities that had powder machines that they were willing to, to basically uh, uh, didn't care about the warranty or basically open to trying new materials. Cause how else are you going to be able to, to test? You can have a great powder, it looks like it flows really well, but until you put it into a, uh, an SLS machine, you have no idea what kind of properties you're going to get and, and how well it's going to perform in, in the bed. Um, uh, how much recycle are you going to be able to have? You know, because that's a big, a big issue that folks complain a lot about is the, uh, uh, the recyclability of the powder that doesn't get incorporated into the part. Um, so that was that was the focus of the of the polymer development that we worked on at, at Eastman was a fully recyclable powder and a little bit different properties than what you get from the nylon twelve. Yeah, changing up that that whole cost calculation because if you're throwing away a third of the powder that you're using in in any build, that becomes a pretty expensive venture on the, exactly. <laughs> the customer side. And not to mention, I mean, I mean, having used a lot of SLS systems, the <laughs> throwing away just tons of powder into landfill was never a good feeling. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, so excellent. I think uh, I know we'll we'll have you on a lot more on on the podcast, but um, and I think there's probably a, a whole entire episode we can develop <laughs> divulge into the. Um, the science and, and the nuance and materials discussion around kind of what's a good polymer for, for sintering. So I think we could go into much more detail there. So as okay. we kind of wrap, wrap up here, I, I guess um, maybe just a, we'll spend a few minutes kind of talking a little bit about what you're doing now. I know for, for listeners who are not familiar, Bill does work on, uh, on three degrees, team on various projects from time to time, but you're also teaching. So what are you, uh, what's the latest there? Yeah. So, uh, uh, after I left Eastman, I took a, a role in, uh, the business school at the East Tennessee state university. It's a public university in Johnson city, Tennessee, where I'm actually working and teaching in business strategy, which is kind of interesting because, uh, that that's a lot of what I did at Eastman, uh, kind of a, not really knowing what I was doing, but now kind of figured out what I should have been doing. And I'm, and I'm teaching the classes uh, uh, mainly at the MBA level. Uh, and one of the things we do for the capstone project is we work on strategy projects uh, for the local community. So I feel like it's a, 
it's uh, it's fun working with the students, working on strategy projects, and and the students love working on a project that uh, is a real problem, not just one that I just made up. Um, so, and then working with, still working with uh, three degrees, uh, love working with companies to help them figure out what their strategy should be. Uh, who should they partner with? What materials should they be looking at? What what processes should they be looking at in 3D printing? And where is it going to make the most uh, benefit for the time and resources it's going to take? So to me, those are all fun projects to work on. And I, and I appreciate, Mike, you letting me be a part of your team. Fantastic. And I think the, the one thing you did forget to mention, and maybe most important now these summer months, you're a master smoker. So if you need recipes for <laughs> so what I think the latest your your favorite is salmon, right? Yeah, salmon is the is kind of my go-to for now in my smoker. But you know, it's kind of funny. People ask me what I what I do once I retired from Eastman. I said, Well, I took up smoking and you get some strange looks uh <laughs> when when you say that, then you have to quickly add uh meat and fish to that. Yeah, must ta- my much tastier version. <laughs> Uh, awesome. But yes, uh, that typically the, the family is asking at a, at a major uh, uh, holiday event, they want something that's smoked. So that's, that's uh, something I enjoy doing. Awesome. Well, appreciate the time, Bill. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mike.